Well, good morning, Kingdom Vineyard. It's in time for another week of KVTV, and we're going to get started right away with scripture reading. And I have two very special scripture readers here with me, Kate's and Moses, and we'll be reading from Psalm 1. Kate's will read first, and then Moses. So here we go. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right. Great job, you two. They're going to pick up their stools, which have been used, and leave the room so they don't have to watch me from here. Thanks, you guys. Well, Psalm 1 is, in fact, quite clear. There are two ways that we can go. There's the way of wisdom and the way of folly. To begin, I want to consider the very first word of the psalm, blessed. In Hebrew, the word is asher. It means blessed, or happy, or fortunate, or God-touched. It's the very first word, and it's telling us that this is teaching us the way we can go. And as the first word of this psalm, and as the first psalm as a whole is going to show, it's something of a programmatic word. Uh, scholars recognize right now that Psalm 1 is the kind of preamble to the entire book of Psalms. It's not just talking about the way of wisdom and folly alone. It's saying that as you read the book of Psalms, you're learning about the way of wisdom and folly. Studying this book is going to teach you how to be wise, how to be blessed. Now, as an aside, interesting aside, this is also the same word used at the beginning of the Beatitudes. Uh, makarios in Greek means happy, blessed, um, or God-fortunate in the same kind of way. And it suggests that Jesus, in saying his Beatitudes, is offering a similar program of wisdom to his followers that the Psalms are offering to us as readers. Food for thought. So in the Psalm, we get two ways. Way number one, verses one through three, is the way of the wise. The wise person does not keep counsel with the wicked, but rather delights in God's law, meditating on it day and night. The result is a tree firmly planted with its fruit in season, not withering, meaning it has these deep roots that suck up, um, suck up life from great depths, and it prospers in all that it does. The second way, way number two, verses four through six, is the way of folly. This is like chaff. Now, you may or, not be, may or may not be familiar with chaff, but when you have, say, uh, when you harvest wheat, there are two components. There's the outer part, the husk, and the inner part, the kernel. The kernel part's the good part. The husk part is kind of inedible. And so what you do in the ancient world is you have a, a threshing floor, a harvesting floor, where you put these kernels on a basket, the, the, the wheat, and you toss it in the air, usually where there's a breeze coming through. And while you're tossing it in the air, they jostle and move, and the husk gets separated, and the wind, because it's so light, the wind carries the husk away, and the kernel falls back down, leaving you with the good stuff, and all the bad stuff gets removed. Now, uh, what the psalmist is saying is that the wicked are like that chaff, that husk that gets blown away. They are insubstantial, husks discarded, discarded in the great judgment that's coming. And so when God gathers his people together, it suggests that the wicked will not survive the gathering. That's part of the message of the psalm. So we have a way of wisdom and a way of folly, clearly contrasted in the psalm. What is it that marks the difference between these two ways? To me, it seems especially clear-cut. 
pretty clear cut. The difference between wisdom and folly lies in our sources of value. What do you value? Where do you draw life? Let's look again at verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. A progression. Walking. Standing. Sitting. A kind of trap where you get entrapped by these desires. The progression describes how easily we get entangled in things that suck life from us, that draw us away from the vitality of life with God, that cause us to stop journeying with God. A brief example, maybe make this clear. These past months, I've been struck, as I'm sure you've been struck, by the increase in online presence. I'm online more. You're online more. Everybody's online more. We're online. This inline, online presence has increased massively. There are temptations that come along with, a temptation especially to waste time, to fritter away hours, to catch up on YouTube. I, I People lose themselves in YouTube. These temptations are strong. Now, with these temptations come additional temptations, the temptation to comment on someone else's stupidity, hmm? to engage in comment feeds, to get caught up in fruitless de- debate, to spend days answering idiots on the internet. And a secret I'm about to tell you, there are a lot of idiots on the internet. It's true. So you could spend all your time doing this. And I've come to think that in some ways this represents uh, my, the presence online is a bit of walking in the counsel of the wicked and um, standing in the way of sinners and then sitting in the seat of mockers. And there's a great deal of mockery online. And that mockery gets into us. And we invest ourselves in worthless sources of value and we can become worthless in the same way. And so it seems to me there's no better time than right now to reflect on these sources of value. From where are we drawing life? Which path are we on? It's interesting that just this past week I also read from the book of James, James 1, 14 and 15. And there James says, Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when his sin is accomplished, it gives birth to death. Don't be confused by the word lust. James isn't talking about sex per se. He's talking about any strong desire, any allure, any appeal that draws on your heart. Desire out of check leads to sin. And sin, when you sit in it, gives birth to death and dying. I walk in desire. I stand in sin. I sit down to die. The progression is similar. And I would not be surprised if James has been reading, in fact, Psalm 1. The point I want to make is that there is in each of us the slow creep of influences and desires, desires that entice us to go with them, to stand in their place, and eventually sit with their company. And this way lies folly. Now, the contrasting way, of course, is the way of wisdom, to walk in the way of God's words, and by contrast, to keep walking. The way of wisdom is just that, a way, a road. It is ongoing. I think it's interesting that when the author of Hebrews describes sin, he talks about sin that entangles, it trips us up. And so in each case, Psalm 1, the book of James, and the book of Hebrews, sin is seen as a thing that keeps us from moving forward with God. Sin is never a way of its own. It wants you to think it's a way. It wants you to think it's an alternative way, but it's never its own road. It's always a dead end, a cul-de-sac. You can't get anywhere with sin. Let's consider the way of the wise again. The wise person, we learn, delights in God's word, in God's law. To walk the path of wisdom is to keep the word of God as your key source of value, that from which you draw life and purpose and guidance, and that to which you turn maybe when things aren't going so well. 
I think we struggle, personally, I think, and I think this myself, we struggle sometimes to delight, as the psalmist tells us to, in God's word. Let me think think about it. delighting in God's law. Yay, commandments, things I can't do. Whoop do 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 do. This is not very exciting. But there may be something unfortunate in our translation, or at least in our thinking about these things. Um, when Martin Buber translated the Psalms, the word he translated in this psalm was the word instruction, not law. And this maybe gets us to the right kind of thought idea, where instead of thinking about how it is that we are being uh, given laws, we are given God's instruction. We are rejoicing in part because we have God as our teacher. He's the one telling us how to live and how to work and how to, how to, uh, how to have our inner life sorted. We get to have God as our teacher. And this is in some ways perhaps why Jews rejoice and dance with scrolls of the Torah to uh, move their bodies with rejoicing. This is a hard thing to imagine, dancing for laws. Uh, but maybe the problem is in our understanding of the word law. We're dancing to be instructed. We're dancing because in these teachings is life. And that life means that we're rejoicing. In fact, if we want to be wise, I think we have to rejoice to find our joy in the word of God. This has to be our chief source of value. And I will add that it's a source that is difficult to take away from you. When you have the word of God in your heart, it stays in you. You may be separated from community and from people. You may be separated from other sources of value, things that give you other things that maybe feed you in other ways, but the word can stay in your heart. So keep the word with you and rejoice in it. There is then, as far as I can tell, a fork in the road. And the fork in the road between wisdom and folly branches at our sources of value. Whether you will be wise and thrive or foolish and destroyed is determined in large part by how you invest yourself. So we can take an inventory. We can question our sources of value. What is it that captures my interest? What is it that gives me life? Who are the people that I look up to and appeal to? Who do I emulate? What are the sources of value in my life that give me value? Then, with these questions in mind, we can explore a series of common places where we draw value, like our entertainment. It's very easy to draw value from our entertainment. We spend a lot of time on YouTube and Netflix and Amazon Prime and playing video games and uh, things that fill us bit by bit. But we need to query these sources. Are they filling us with life? Or are they drawing us in paths that maybe walk with the wicked and tempt us to stand and then sit in a kind of death? It's worth it's worth reflecting on. Um, most of you are familiar that you you have friendships that do this as well. Um, some of your friendships are going to be life giving and vital, and they're going to lead you into a deeper and deeper awareness of who God is. They're going to call you to greatness. But some friendships, I think you know as well, are permissive. They give you permission to be a little naughty and unkind, to say things and to gossip. And they are when you're with them. And in that kind of gossiping, chatty sphere, you're maybe walking in the way of the wicked and then standing and then sitting in the seat of scoffers and mockers. And that way lies death. Your thought life could be the same way. Uh, you can harvest thoughts that are, are full of uh, bitterness and uh, anger and thinking the worst of people and malice and rage and, um, and judgmentalism. And you can hold on to those things and those thoughts can give you energy and a sense of focus. And yet they're folly. Or you can take the advice of, say, Philippians 4.8, and you can focus yourself, force yourself to reflect on things that are noble and true and right and good. And you can have thoughts that are sources of value as well. We could say the same thing about your reading. You can read books that are purely for escape and books that are, are, are full of, I don't know, useless stuff. 
And you can read some things that give you life. They're not exclusive necessarily. It's not all to the all all and none of the other. But you need to ask, what are these sources of value? And the same thing you can ask in your home relationships. How am I expressing value in my marriage, in my life with my kids, in my family, and my neighbors? What am I doing in my dating life? Am I am I honoring God in these? Am I on the way of folly or the way of wisdom? Worthy questions to ask. You can query any of these sources of value and ask if any interferes with your walk with God. Are any of them tempting you to walk with the wicked, to stand with sinners, and to sit with scoffers? Remember, you will inevitably become like those things that you value. They will be um, shaped in you and you'll become like them. If you are trying to draw life from death, you will harvest only death. So let me give you a personal example of this. Uh, I don't know about you, but I use my phone as my alarm. I set it at night, it goes off in the morning, and very often I will use my phone, the blue, bright blue light of digital world, to help me to wake up. And so I check my inboxes and my updates and the news that's going on, and I find out for the day, what am I to be outraged about today? And very often I find that that had set my day going where I was, I was awake and I was, I was angry at things first thing in the morning. Well, I've got to respond to this. I've got to do this thing. And only a few months ago, I realized just how depressed it was making me to do this. And so I had to make a conscious choice to say, I am not going to, I'm still using my phone as my alarm, but I'm not going to open any of its apps. And I am a trying, I'm not always succeeding. I'm trying to make the first thing I read, the first source of value to which I turn be the word of God. I want the Bible to be the first thing that comes into my mind, into my eyes, and into my heart um, each morning when I'm reading. I don't always succeed, but I'm trying to make this better. I'm trying to get my sources of value sorted. And this has been an important thing for me. Now, we can also inventory our sources of life. We can take stock of where we typically get life. Am I reading God's Word? Are you reading it at all? Has it fallen by the wayside? Pick it up again. Um, am I in regular prayer with the Almighty? Uh, do I spend, like, think about this. Am I talking to God? It's one thing to read God. It's another thing saying, am I talking and listening to God? Um, consider for a moment how much you may text in a given day. How many people do you text and for how much time do you spend texting? And I'd like you maybe to compare that amount of time texting to the amount of time you spend talking to God, which I'm guessing is significantly less as a number. And if you compare those two, uh, do you think perhaps you might want to talk to God a little more each day and spend time listening to him? Um, right now, community, of course, is a real challenge, but in normal circumstances, being connected to vital communities are going to be one of the key ways that we are challenged and pulled to sources of value. And so I put that there because it's important, even though it's difficult right now. And then am I spending time in silence and solitude? This may seem odd right now, since we're still under some forms of various quarantine. And yet, um, in a media-saturated world, there can be almost no more countercultural action than to be silent and then to remove ourselves from a media saturation. And I encourage you to do that, to find that space where you are removed from it, removed from the fray, unplugged, you don't have, you've turned off your internet, you don't have music, nothing's going on around you, and you are still and quiet. And that quiet is an immense source of value that we must cultivate. I was reading something Malcolm Muggeridge wrote about this, and I was gonna read you the quote from him right now. He says this, thus in the turmoil of life without and black despair within, um, it is always possible to turn aside and wait on God. Just as the center of a hurricane, there is stillness, and above the clouds a clear sky, so it is possible to make a little clearing in the jungle of our human will for a rendezvous with God. 
In other words, no matter how bad it gets, we can always make space to carve out from this jungle of media mayhem a little space where we can meet with God. And I think we need to work on that to create a source of value. Well, I want to wrap up with just three little things I've been thinking about. Um, and they begin in this way. And I'll be honest, I have found, personally, I found the world a very distressing place these past months. Uh, I'm just distressed by, by the news. I'm distressed by the church. I'm distressed by where the world appears to be going. Um, I read First John. I'm reminded of 1 John 2.15 that says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. That's not been my problem lately, loving the world. The world seems pretty hell-bent on the way of folly, pretty dead set against the way of truth. And I've struggled to wonder at times what my place is, is in it at all. Um, I'm torn between wanting to retreat and just leave the world to its own self-destruction or to kind of ramp up efforts to see how can we help the church to be more. And I'm not sure what my place has been. In the midst of this, maybe three things have come to me. First, I was reminded of the words of Psalm 73, one of my favorite psalms. In the beginning, he says, almost I envied the wicked when I saw their prosperity. There is something appealing and really desirous about the world's ways, the world's solutions, the world's pleasures, the world's ease. Uh, the world, um, it, sometimes it can present its idea of having a momentum. It's going places. It's doing things. But then I'm reminded with the psalmist that the psalmist almost envied the wicked until I entered the sanctuary when I remembered their final destiny. And this is the same destiny of Psalm 1, that there's an ephemerality to it. It's not a real progress. It's destined to be blown away like chaff. Uh, they are destined for judgment, and at judgment, the wicked will be found it's an insubstantial. So uh, God's judgment is real, and we have to root ourselves in the right sources of value. Second, I was reminded of something my uncle used to talk about. He talked about the law of the sower. My uncle's a pastor. And the law of the sower is this. It says you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, you reap later than you sow. And it works like this. If I am going to sow godliness in my life, I'm going to sow godliness, and I'm going to get godliness. And I'm going to get godliness later than I sowed it. It's not going to come right away. And I'm going to get more godliness than I sowed. I think this is true. And we could use the parallel as well of something like bitterness. I can sow bitterness. I'm going to get bitterness. And I'm going to get more bitterness than I sowed. And I'm going to get it later than I sowed. And one of the best examples of this is anyone, as anyone who is married will tell you, if you sow bitterness in your marriage, you're going to get more bitterness and you're going to get it later. You're going to reap a harvest. You're going to be swimming in a harvest of bitterness. Don't do this. If you reap godliness, you're going to get godliness. But the error is to think that I reap godliness, I should get godliness today. You won't. You have to be faithful in your sowing. And then you will reap and then you will sow. When we're choosing our sources of value, we are choosing what to harvest in our hearts and lives. We are choosing how to fertilize for the future. So choose well. Third, I received in the post this week a copy of a sermon preached by Malcolm Muggeridge at St. Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh in 1968. Now, Muggeridge is a great read if you've not read any of his stuff, and if you want recommendations, I'll happily recommend something to you later. Uh, he's brilliant, he's cranky, and he takes no prisoners when it comes to the modern world and criticizing culture. I like this about him. But at the opening of his sermon, he wrote something that caught me. He wrote, he writes, You know, sometimes on foolish television or radio panels or being interviewed, someone asks me what I most want, what I should most like to do in the little that remains of my life. And I always nowadays truthfully answer, and it is truthful, I should like my light to shine, even if only very fitfully, like a match struck in a dark cavernous night and then flickering out. Uh, he wants to be faithful with the little that he has, with the time that he has. 
And I think there's a good word there. We maybe don't have to win the long battle. We don't have to change the world. We don't have to do anything spectacularly. We only have to shine with what we've got. And on the advice of Jesus from Matthew 24, we have to keep our wicks trimmed. We have to spend our talents faithfully. And we have to look after one another. So let me challenge you this morning to choose the way of wisdom, to invest in sources of value, to to inventory where you are taking your value. Be careful you're not getting snared by desire into walking away and then standing and then sitting in a cul-de-sac that leads to death. To sit with mockers is to become a mockery, but to root yourself in God is to harvest eternal life. So we get to make a choice. Let me pray for you, and then we'll go back to Jim and Rachel. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for Kingdom Vineyard this morning, for their faithfulness and for the desire to be faithful. And I pray that you plant in each of our hearts a hunger for sources of value that are deep and lasting and real. And with that hunger, grant us ways to fill that hunger, to see in our sowing of Um, our sowing of devotion and reading and sources of value, to see even now micro-harvests of what you have in store for us. Lead us by goodness into goodness, Lord Jesus. And these things I pray in your holy name. Amen.